Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I'm Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Happy birthday to you. Woo. It's a little early. <laughs> <laughs> Not my birthday. Whose birthday is it? It is Israel's birthday. Oh. <laughs> the, yeah. The start of the new year. The start at, of the new year. At Passover. That's right. Okay. So we are still in Passover. <laughs> you can tell. We're on episode number 70. And oh, it's a, it's a biblical number what? for Passover. Oh, Israel. Oh. <laughs> we planned that. Not really. But anyways, yes, we are continuing in the story of Exodus about Passover and the things surrounding it, I guess you could say. Yeah, I guess a, a little bit of backdrop. If you're jumping right into this episode, we're going through the story of Exodus, like you said, but where we're at is we're in Exodus 13 and the the destroyer has already come through with Yahweh, with the Lord, and has killed the firstborn of Egypt and those who put blood on their lentil doorposts and, you know, the top of their door, they identified themselves with, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. You said lentil. And you're thinking food. I was thinking lentils. <laughs> <laughs> like red lentils, Wait, maybe. where are the lentils come in? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man, that's great. I wasn't making a sound. <laughs> so they, um, whoever put their blood on the doorposts, they were identifying themselves as being a part of God's people. And when the destroyer came by and, and God saw the blood, on the doorposts, the the word pass the word that gets translated as Passover actually means protection, and so what the Lord did was the Lord protected His people from the destroyer and did not allow the destroyer to go into the house of the Israelites to kill the firstborn. Now that that has happened, Israel has started to make their way out of Egypt, and they've kind of gotten together. They're, they're all grouped up, and they're sort of like this big, massive caravan that's heading out, pun intended, as you'll see. They're heading out of Egypt. So th- this is actually not the point in time that Israel becomes the Lord's firstborn. They were already the Lord's firstborn, but as we brought out in one of our episodes with John 3, this is a being born again they were already the firstborn. They were then enslaved by the Israelites, uh, I'm sorry, by the Egyptians. And now the Lord is releasing them from that slavery and bringing them out. And it's kind of like being born. What we're going to talk about today is this issue of the firstborn, because there's some really strange things. They're strange to us. It wouldn't have been strange to them. But there's some really strange things that God gets real particular about when it comes to the Israelites' firstborn as in the firstborn in their families, but also the firstborn from their flocks, their flocks of animals. And then later on in the, in the Pentateuch, you'll see that God starts to have some of the same rules for the fruit, the fruit of the land, that God wants to receive everything that comes out of the ground or out of the womb 
the very first belong to him. So, all right, that's our that's our short setup. Wasn't very short, but <laughs> not so short setup. <laughs> yeah, there it is. But yeah, it's uh, this is a weird passage. All right, well, why don't we start with we're going to do chapter thirteen, verses one and two, and then eleven through sixteen, and I, I think we'll just kind of stop and pause along the way to make some comments. Exodus thirteen, verse one: The Lord said to Moses, "Consecrate to me every firstborn male." The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belong to me, whether human or animal. Okay, so this is this is that claim that every firstborn from a human being to an animal, the Lord actually says they are mine. Mine. Okay, now this is really important because this kind of plays into the Exodus narrative a little bit because here you have the firstborn of God, Israel, but they have been enslaved by another nation. And there's a lot of really interesting scenarios that we can explore a a little bit later in this podcast or or another podcast, depending on whether we have time today. But the fact that the Lord is claiming Israel, but another nation is claiming them, is it's not just the firstborn babies of Israelite people. The entire nation of Israel is the Lord's, and the entire nation of Israel is called the firstborn of God. And so if you can think about Israel as a child among other children or a, or a nation among other nations, the Lord is basically saying Israel as a people is like a firstborn to me. They belong to me. And so Israel gets treated differently than the other nations do. And this macro thing that God has going on with Israel is going to scale all the way down to the firstborn of a human being and the firstborn of an animal. In the same way that Israel is the firstborn as a nation, firstborn human beings and firstborn animals will also be treated differently, and they too will belong to the Lord. That's sort of a a principle that's at play here in the narrative. Let's jump up here to verse 11, and this is where it's going to uh, get a little bit weird. If if it's weird already, it's about to get weirder. (laughs) Verse 11, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It just feels weird reading that, doesn't it? (laughs) It's like, wait, what? What is that about? Because I'm just thinking if you've never read this or if you've never read some of the Old Testament, this is going to be like, what the heck is going on? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So one of the things to think about the the thing with the donkey, I'm, I'm assuming, is what you're referring to. Like, you know, if if there's a firstborn of a donkey, then you can redeem the donkey, the firstborn of the donkey. But if you don't redeem it, then you have to break the neck of the donkey. Right. It's like, why does the donkey need to be redeemed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why do you need to break its neck? Okay. So, you know, Israel had a list of animals that were clean and a list of animals that were unclean. And a donkey is actually an unclean animal. 
when an animal is being redeemed, it actually gets offered to the Lord as a sacrifice. Because a donkey is unclean, you cannot offer an unclean animal as a sacrifice on the altar. But the reason why donkeys are brought up here is because donkeys are basically the only unclean animal that an Israelite uses to help them work. It's an animal of value to the Israelite, but it's an unclean animal. If an Israelite is using an animal that's of value to them, then they're supposed to offer the firstborn of that animal to, you know, if it's an animal of their flock, then they have to give that firstborn to the Lord. Now, let's say they're like, well, no, I don't want to offer it to the Lord. Well, it belongs to the Lord. But if you're not going to offer it to him, they say, well, then you should kill it. In other words, you don't get to keep that firstborn if it doesn't get redeemed. If you're not going to redeem it, you don't get to keep it. And you say, well, why break its neck? And so basically, that's a way of killing the animal in a way that does not mimic a sacrificial ritual. In other words, they don't want you to start a practice that may turn into some kind of religion or, you know, they don't want you killing an animal in the same way that you kill an animal in the temple. And so he's saying, don't, don't start some practice that may evolve into some form of idolatry where you start worshiping another god. It's, it's definitely strange. You know, it's strange to us because we're looking into somebody else's culture and their practices and whatnot. But the Lord is definitely trying to guard against an unhealthy practice emerging, I think. Mm-hmm. And another thing... I think we may take for granted that people might know is what does the word redeem mean? Oh, yeah, good question. There's actually two words for redeem in Hebrew, and one of them comes up early in Exodus story where God says that I'm going to redeem Israel. And that word is the term that shows up in the book of Ruth, where it's where they get that term kinsman redeemer. And it's the idea that if you're a part of like an extended family and you get into trouble, and maybe it's financial trouble, then you can call on your uncle or whoever the designated kinsman redeemer is. It was typically somebody of means, somebody who had money. And they would basically go and pay your debt to get you out of servitude or bondage or debt to someone. And so the Lord is treating Israel as he sees himself as a kinsman redeemer and his people has have fallen into a situation that they can't get out of. That term is never used, the kinsman redeemer, that term is never used for a worshiper redeeming a firstborn. That would really mess with the roles that the people are playing in that sacrificial relationship. It would make an Israelite a redeemer, but then it would make God the one who is enslaving or holding someone in bondage. Mm, okay. And so the scriptures never frame it that way. Um, so this kind of redeeming. Yeah. So the, the redeeming that shows up here in this passage is not the kinsman redeemer. It's actually just a term that was used sort of like a payment in a transaction to pay off a debt, to, to, to redeem something that belonged to someone else. Uh, essentially, it means payment. But sometimes it actually gets uh, translated as ransom, which is also a, a weird word for us because we're thinking, wait, ransom? Like somebody got kidnapped? Yeah. You know? <laughs> definitely where our mind goes. Yeah. Like, so God's holding people kidnapped, you know? Like, and you have to pay God off to get your first, like, what? what, what? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? Well, that's us imposing our understanding of ransom in there. But it, it basically just means a payment 
to pay off a debt. This thing with the, with the firstborn is that God is saying that these firstborn belong to me, and you're going to sacrifice all the animals firstborn to me, the male firstborn. But when it comes to your your male sons, he's totally against child sacrifice. He's totally against killing children. And he says, what you're going to do is you're going to redeem your sons from me. They belong to me, your firstborn sons, but I'm going to let you redeem them from me. And the way that you're going to do that is you're going to give me a lamb. And that's going to be the payment. That's going to be the redemption or the ransom. And there's going to be a trade, in other words. The Lord will receive that lamb in place of the firstborn. The question that obviously comes up at this point is like, well, what happens if you didn't redeem? Like, what if you gave the firstborn son to the Lord and you didn't redeem them? What would that son do? Like, where would they live? What would they be doing? And that's where we get into the conversation about the Levites and working and serving in the tabernacle and the temple. In fact, like the story of Anna in 1 Samuel, she devotes her firstborn son to the Lord, and what does he do? He serves in the temple. At the beginning of Exodus, the Lord says that basically to Pharaoh, he says, Israel is my firstborn. I want you to let them go so they can serve me. And that's essentially what the Lord wants with the firstborn of the Israelites. He wants them to serve him, to be wholly devoted their entire life, every aspect of their life to be focused on whole, complete, no distractions, utter devotion and service to him. And what the Lord gives them an opportunity to say, well, you can actually redeem your sons from doing that. They don't have to do that. They belong to me. I have a right to ask them to do that, but you can redeem them from me. And you can get your firstborn son back, but you have to give me a lamb in exchange for it. Thanks, Tim, for doing some explaining on that. I'm sure there's more we could talk about, but we probably need to keep moving. Yeah, let's keep moving. So we're in verse 14. In days to come, when your sons ask you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Okay, so one of the things I just want to point out here is that when they're asked to explain what, like, what are you doing with all this firstborn stuff? Notice that they associate the firstborn child with Israel as a whole. He says, the Lord brought us out of Egypt in the same way that a newborn baby is brought out of the womb. And we were redeemed and brought out of Egypt so that we could serve the Lord. And so our firstborn sons are also brought out of the womb and they are supposed to be dedicated to be serving the Lord. But, he gives us an opportunity to redeem our sons back from the Lord. That The emphasis here is on the might and the power of the Lord to bring Israel out of Egypt. 
And what's interesting is when he talks about the Lord killing the firstborn, he does use a term that's more associated with battle, and it's not like a sacrificial term. There, there are terms for sacrifice, killing an animal in sacrifice. There's a separate term for that. But when it talks about the Lord killing the firstborn in the land of Egypt, it's a word that is more, it's not a cultic or a religious term for killing. It's a, it's a, it's a battle term. And this, once again, sort of reinforces some things we've said in the previous episodes about the Lord is entering into battle against the Egyptian gods, but it also got really personal with the Egyptians themselves. And so when Israel kills that Passover lamb, what they're doing is they're joining with God in his battle against the gods, and they're identifying themselves as being on the Lord's side of that battle. And so when the Lord comes in to kill all of the firstborn, they don't kill any of the firstborn that are in the houses that have the blood on the doorpost. So yeah, this is, this is all very interesting, and it, it's also kind of weird, but it's, it's one of those things where when you read through some of the passages in the New Testament that talk about Jesus and Jesus as a ransom or even redemption, you have to kind of say, well, we're, like, why are they using that term? Like, what's going on with that? And why are they framing what Jesus has done for us in terms of ransom or redemption? And I think some of this story will actually shed light on some of those passages. And do we have one that we're going to read today? Yeah, we're going to go up into Mark 10. And, you know, the, the context for this passage is, oddly enough, about the role and the posture that Jesus' disciples need to take in the kingdom of God, which is the role of someone who responds to someone else telling them what to do, i.e. a servant. So, you know, the disciples are saying, hey, we want to be, you know, at the top of the chain. We want to have thrones. We want to be on your right and your left hand. And it creates this big conflict in the group about people seeking basically higher ranking status in the group. And then Jesus breaks out and says, hey, you ain't supposed to be like that. Like in the kingdom, you're supposed to be, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first will be last. And then he makes this statement that most people really don't know what to do with. In fact, everyone disagrees about what it means. But I think the Passover narrative is actually the thing with the firstborn, I think, gives us a hint about what it's about. And so at, at the end of Mark 10, verse 45, he says, For the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. If you just kind of take that verse in our modern day understanding, you're thinking, okay, ransom. Okay, somebody's been taken hostage. Jesus is going to pay him off. Who are we hostage to? And, and this is where like all kinds of interesting ideas come out when people try to make sense of this. <laughs> Classic lack of, lack of context. Lack of context, yes. And so, you know, notice he identifies himself as the son of man. And so, which means he's the son. And he, Jesus is actually literally the firstborn in his family. He's the firstborn of Mary. But the context, I think, for this is that the Lord actually wants people to serve him wholeheartedly, completely devoted, but the reality is that we can't. Like, we have weakness, we have limitations, you know, as much as we would like to be that person who is completely devoted to the Lord, we get distracted, we get pulled away, 
And yet the Lord still has this desire to be in relationship with someone who is fully focused and fervently serves him wholeheartedly. I think what Jesus is framing himself as is he's framing himself as the firstborn, but he's actually going to give his life as a payment to redeem or ransom other people from that role of being completely devoted to the Lord, which sounds crazy, right? Like I'm saying it right now and I'm like, wait, I thought we were supposed to be completely devoted to the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) But in reality, we're not. And so that creates a problem. Just like it created a problem for a firstborn to come out of the womb, and that firstborn belongs to the Lord, and you can't just say, well, I think I'm just going to keep that firstborn. It's like, no, there's got to be a redemption. If he's not going to completely be devoted and serve the Lord, then there has to be a ransom. There has to be a payment. There has to be an exchange. Jesus is going to be that exchange. He's going to be that person who steps in our place and serves the Lord wholeheartedly in our place because we literally cannot do that ourselves. It's one of those passages in the New Testament that generates a lot of controversy, but I think the background for helping us understand what Jesus is talking about and even the context in which he brings it up about you know the disciples serving and their inclination is not to be servants. And that's exactly why there needs to be someone who serves in their place, someone who does it for them, because the Lord still wants that kind of service. So in in that sense, Jesus is a substitute, but he's not a penal substitute. He's not being punished in our place. He's actually serving in our place, and he's giving his life to the Lord instead of us giving our entire life, because we just can't. There's no possible way for us to do that. It's definitely a different take and understanding of what Jesus is doing and what he's saying there, but I think it's it's more in line with the principle that we're looking at here. And in our next episode, we're actually going to get a little bit more deeper into this concept of the firstborn and the Levites and the ransom and the redemption, and we're going to draw it out even more for Mark 10. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely a a different way of talking about it than what I've heard a lot. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down, Tim. Thank you, Jesus, for serving the Lord wholeheartedly. So we will keep having this conversation on the next episode. If you uh, want to keep listening, please hit the subscribe button. And definitely, if you have any comments or questions, click on the link in our podcast notes, and we will get back to you. So appreciate you listening and we will catch you next time.